Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right, we have some return guests today, but we have a new topic and we're going to be talking about, actually there was a report, a CFO survey that went out and there was also a round table uh, where some things were discussed at the last PDT. And to do that, we have two special guests. We have Caitlin and, uh, and Brett here. How are y'all doing today? Great. Doing well. Same. Doing great. Awesome. Well, why don't we just start off? Uh, I know, I think both of you may have been on the podcast before, but just for as a reminder to the audience, uh, if you don't mind just introducing yourself to start, why don't we just start with Caitlin if you want to go first? Sounds good. Uh, so I'm Caitlin Holmes. I'm a partner at Guidehouse. I work in our public sector financial services practice. Um, I work with a number of clients, um, and I do focus quite a bit on financial management and work with a number of CFOs. So this report was near and dear to my heart. Um, we had some great conversation. We got some wonderful survey results, and I'm excited to talk about those with you today. All right. Great. So, yeah, I'm Brett Edwards. I'm the CFO of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. And um, uh, as Caitlin just said, um, I was uh, th this report was really uh, very, very interesting to me. I was a participant in the survey, and uh, I think it's got a lot of great advice. So I look forward to, to unpacking it. All right. Well, uh, I think we're going to start off with a little bit of a, a, a high level, just uh, overview and, uh, and, you know, Caitlin kind of lead that for us, but Brett, feel free to chime in if you'd like to on those. And uh, then we'll walk through some other, some other pieces here, but so maybe Caitlin, do you mind just giving us a, an overview of the, uh, the survey, the round table? Absolutely. Um, so we were so excited to work with AGA on this. Um, I'm sure most people are familiar with the CFO survey the AGA has done on a biannual basis. Um, when we took this over with them, we talked about what we wanted to focus on, and we were really focused on advanced technology and how that's ultimately impacting CFOs and CFO organizations. And to dig into that a little bit further, we did two things. One, we issued a survey, and we sent that out to financial management leaders across the public sector, so CFOs, DCFOs, et cetera. And then the other thing that we did, as you mentioned, is we held a round table at the PDT this past summer. And I couldn't have been more pleased. We had over 50 attendees at the round table. It went for about two hours. And honestly, I felt like we could have continued talking for another hour or so. Um, we had such great participation. I think anytime anyone's ever facilitated things, you, you know the risk, right, is that no one's going to talk. And that was my fear going into this. And that was, that was unbounded. Um, we had a lot of fantastic participation, got a lot of great information. And what we ultimately did is we distilled all the information that we got from both the roundtable and the survey. And we came up with four key themes that we saw that were ultimately so important to advanced technology initiatives for CFOs. And those key themes were the skill sets of employees, collaboration, data management, and governance and, and internal controls. And what we found about those four themes is that while they could be seen as blockers or disruptors to advanced technology initiatives, they actually can be enablers when used in the right way and when addressed appropriately. And so the report really focuses on those four key areas and how CFOs can turn those into advantages and ways to ultimately enable advanced technology implementation and adoption. So Caitlin was, I'm just curious, were, were those four themes that were kind of 
you know, explicitly stated on the survey or is that four, four big things that came out of the results? Great question. There are four big things that came out of the results. So we did have some high level themes going into the conversation and going into the survey. And I will say skill sets was one of them. But these were things as the conversation went on, they were really the four big components that bubbled up as being top of mind for CFOs. Okay. Yeah. And, and Brent, I wanted to ask you uh, about those themes specifically, but even before that, I'm just curious, um, have you done a lot of these uh, CFO surveys before the AGA surveys? Uh, yes, I, I have participated and I, I find them really, um, as I always say uh, to the folks that come to interview me, I always find them really cathartic, <laughs> a little bit useful, uh, but they're, no, they're very useful. Um, I'm always interested in what my peers are, you know, are they dealing with the same challenges? How are they wrestling with those challenges? So I think it's a great exercise. Um, and I, I, I found it very, very helpful over the years. Um, let me just say too, before I um, engage in too much more conversation, I just want to make the usual disclaimers about my comments being my own <laughs> and not officially sanctioned by the FDIC. But, um, you know, this particular survey, so we were talking about you know, deploying advanced technologies in our organizations. I mean, a couple of things from my perspective, and I, I, I love the themes that came out of this, um, but A, it's not optional, right? So um, what we're really talking about, I think, is our success rates and the speed at which we're going to do things. And, and I think what the survey brings out is that's really wholly dependent on us taking certain steps to get it right. Um, the only other thing I'd say here is that uh, if, if our listeners haven't had a chance to look at the survey, um, I thought uh, Guidehouse did a great job of distilling it down to a nice 10-page, easy-to-read um, document. And as I said, it's, it's got a lot of useful advice that were, was gleaned from CFOs across the entire spectrum of government organizations. So what I think I'd like to do is maybe, Brett, for each of these themes, kind of get your thoughts um, you know, what you felt about the area, what, what kind of input you provided, and then maybe Caitlin, just give us a little bit more high, you know, what overall, what were you hearing from across the community? Is that, if that's okay with you guys? Um, so, okay. yeah. So Brett, I mean, so the first one we talked about is skill sets, so, you know, pretty broad yeah. term there. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean to you? What, what kind of conversation happened there? Yeah, so it's it's obviously when you're again we're talking about deployment of advanced technologies. Um, uh, that's a, that's a consideration or a, a goal we've had uh, for quite a while. Um, I think the, the challenge with advanced technologies is that the technology is changing very rapidly, um, and so when we talk about skill sets, and I think I'll confine my remarks to um, you know to the the folks that are already within my organization because we could have a whole separate conversation about how do you attract um, the, the right skill sets to your organization. But let me just make a couple of quick comments. Um, in general, government organizations tend to have lower turnover and a more mature workforce, and that really heightens the importance of reskilling. Um, and, you know, I'd like to bring out some other things. So within the survey, we talk about the role of promoters. Um, I actually call them evangelists. Um, but within, within your organization, you, you always have these folks that kind of gravitate towards tech, love tech, love to play with tech. And those are the folks that you really have to nurture and showcase. Um, and we, that's one of the things we do. Um, I think uh, the survey also talks about the importance of employee education. Um, 
you, what I find is that employees are all over the map. Some of them are way down the road in terms of utilization of, of these new technologies. Others aren't really sure what they are. Um, and so I think uh, making sure that you're uh, taking every opportunity you can to educate employees and also remove barriers to their development and training in that space so that they can make it easy for them to self-improve. Um, another thing we do, and I think that's highlighted in one of the case studies, um, two things we do. We bring in outside speakers regularly to talk about these new technologies and how they're getting deployed within their organizations. And we also strongly encourage uh, conference attendance, which we pay for. Uh, so again, because we want to make it easy. And, and I think those two things uh, really open people's eyes. You know, I, there's nothing like sitting through a couple presentations about somebody that's really um, deploying AI in a thoughtful way. It, it's things that you can't unsee. I think you, you walk away from those uh, conversations changed and, and hopefully a little bit more enthusiastic about um, deploying those kinds of technologies. And then just finally, uh, I make a point of publicly celebrating when employees um, hit certain milestones. So if they go out and get a Microsoft Power Platform certificate or something like that, um, celebrate those successes, showcase those successes. We want people to do these things and we want them to feel good about them and we want them to be praised for doing them. So, and if I remember correctly, I think I've seen you speak a couple times because um, a lot of the skill set talk here in the uh, report is about you know, technology skill set. I mean, you know, most of your folks are government financial right. management, you know, experts, CGFMs and CPAs and stuff like that, but they're not IT developers necessarily. Um, but is it not true? I thought you had mentioned in one of your uh, presentations that you actually encourage staff to learn those skills themselves versus, you know, necessarily just hiring people from outside or contractors and things like that. You'd like your own staff to really learn how to do RPA or, or power platform, thing like things like that. Right, and I'm, I'm sure Caitlin will chime in about what she's seen at other clients, but absolutely. Um, I think you have to build excitement about these things, and uh, you have to be able to uh, you know, create an environment where people can not just learn the skills, but also uh, deploy them, right? So uh, it's great to send people to training, but if you don't actually allow them to start um, you know, working on actual use cases of RPA, then you know that that's probably not the way to go. Um, the the, um, the the one thing I mentioned also on on the skill set. So yes, of course, tech skill sets. But I thought the report did a particularly good job of saying you know this isn't all about tech. So it talked about um, skill sets like project management and influencing and communications and and um, uh, uh, analytics. Those are equally important. Um, it's if you have the skills to you know, utilize these technologies to make changes within your organization. It's important that you also have sales skills, right? Why are you doing this? How is it going to impact me? Why is this a good thing? Um, and, and being able to sell those things and also being able to manage projects effectively. So when you, when you go through a deployment of technology, uh, project management skills are, are important to get it right, right? On time, on budget, et cetera. So. Yeah, and Caitlin, do you want to give us some more insights from the uh, from the report? I mean, this infographic is awesome, by the way. So people, I'm going to put the, a link to this on the website. But uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Caitlin. <laughs> it is. It's great. So one Thank page. you. I, I I will credit our uh, our graphic design and, and marketing team for that. They they distilled everything very nicely. Um, 
So, so that was a great, a great segue, Brett. You know, one of the things that we talked about a lot when it comes to advanced technology implementations is that the, the skill sets for employees will shift post implementation. So a lot of financial management employees are used to very transactional responsibilities. And the goal typically of advanced technology is to create efficiency and effectiveness. And so it's moving those transactional responsibilities from those that are done by staff into whatever the technology solution is. And so the skill sets required of the staff now shift from being that more transactional to being more analytical. And to Brett's point, also focusing more on things like project management, communication, analytics, risk management, all of those things become more important once that technology has been implemented. So helping employees along that spectrum and helping them to retool not only with technology skills, but with those analytical skills is going to be absolutely critical. And then the other thing that Brett touched on is we talked about both existing staff, but also attracting new talent to be part of the organization, either as part of the implementation or again in the aftermath of the implementation to work within the organization. And one of the challenges that we heard loud and clear from the CFOs at the roundtable is that it's really hard to write a job description for <laughs> a role that is that you don't really know what it's going to be. And one of the things that, that we heard as a best practice is were CFOs looking for the soft skills from individuals. So recognizing that most of these individuals can be taught the technical skills. It's going to be more about the mindset of the person are they open to change, to learning new things? Are they committed to continuous learning? Those types of things would all, are ultimately critical in finding individuals to work in this new environment. So I thought those were two really interesting things that came out of it. One, looking at how to attract talent, how to, how to find the right talent. Um, and then two, also looking at the transition and skills that existing staff would need to have. Yeah, just one last thing on that, you know, from the report here. I thought it was interesting that, you know, CFOs, like 70% of CFOs thought training staff who lacked skills was one of the biggest challenges. So obviously, <laughs> pretty that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big percentage there. Um, well, let's talk about number two here, collaboration. And, and you know, we're talking about in, intra-agency collaboration, inter-agency collaboration, um, you know, influencers, you know, having incentives for staff and things like this. Uh, yeah, Brett, what did you take away from that, from that area? Yeah, I mean, that obviously it's critical um, uh, that you, you, you know, you're collaborating across the organization. If you're trying to introduce advanced technology, um, you know, don't underestimate people's emotional response to this, right? So we talk about change management, but uh, there's a lot of fear, especially in long-tenured employees that may be in the twilight of their career. Um, to Caitlin's point, well, okay, now you're going to put this new technology in place. What does that mean for me and what I'm doing day to day? And, you know, how, what am I going to, you know, where am I going to fit into the organization once this, you know, we get to this other side of the, the uh, technology deployment? So those are, that, that's a big deal. Um, I think, uh, so you've got to, you've got to collaborate with your employees. You've got to collaborate with the CIO, obviously. We're talking about technology. Having a really solid relationship with your CIO organization, as I do, um, and, and fostering honest, open, and meaningful communication 
at the front end of any technology uh, deployment, but also throughout it to make sure that everybody understands exactly what's happening, where we are, uh, and where we're going to be. What is success going to look like when we get to the end of this? Uh, so, you know, good change management is, is a key part of all this. Uh, I think um, uh, I want to mention one other thing, which is citizen development efforts. That is a, a very big part of what's going on in a lot of government organizations today. The CIO organizations do not, they are not staffed and they do not have the money to meet all the needs of their um, customers within the agency. So citizen development is a good thing. As long as there's appropriate guardrails around it, we're, we're uh, engaged in a lot of those kinds of efforts right now. And the beauty of it is there are so many great tools out there today, these low-code, no-code tools and RPA tools, et cetera, that are, are uh, changing uh, the dynamic about how um, technology gets deployed in organizations. So just one quick question here, and then I want Caitlin to chime in. Uh, you know, collaboration within your own agency and amongst each other, and, you know, obviously that's probably priority one. I was just curious, uh, what do you feel about collaboration, quote-unquote, with other agencies, organizations? How much of that do you do? How important do you think that is? Mm -hmm. So a couple things. Obviously, we have some very public-facing functions, right? So... Um, ensuring that the stakeholders that reach out to us through our technology are well aware of the opportunities they have to do that, get their feedback about how that journey is going, um, and constantly improve those kinds of uh, interactions. Um, I would also say that we work pretty closely with the other uh, bank regulation agencies. Um, we all have very similar missions in some ways, and so we're constantly uh, having um, dialogue with them about how they're deploying technology to um, and, and changing their business processes to improve the way they operate. Um, because again, there are a lot of common themes amongst us, the NCUA, the Fed, the OCC, you know, we all do bank exams, um, those kinds of things. So it's, it's been very productive. We've had a very good relationship amongst our, uh, especially amongst the CFOs of those agencies. So um, I'm glad you asked that question. It's an important part of how we do business. Great. Um, yeah, and the CFO council, all kinds of fun stuff. So Caitlin, um, yeah, what else would you like to highlight from this area? Yeah, you know, not, not too much more. You know, collaboration was something that came up time and time again, um, and it's, it's clearly important. And I would say one of the things that we heard a lot is that without collaboration, organizations can ultimately potentially duplicate efforts of others in their organizations, or they may be implementing something that is layering on top of something else. And we talked about when there's not collaboration, you know, you could ultimately be building this intricate technology structure, infrastructure that is not going to support the ultimate goals of the organization and actually could be creating more data that needs to be reconciled and may do more harm than good. So that collaboration component, really connecting with the CIO, with the CISO, with the CDO, um, as Brett mentioned, is absolutely critical because they will have the purview across the entire organization to say, these are some of the best practices, these are the tools that have worked, this is what we would recommend. And having that collaboration is going to ensure that the CFO shop is moving forward in a way that is in line with the rest of the organization. And then I think to the point in the question earlier, 
the collaboration outside of the organization is also critical. We can all benefit from best practices. We can all benefit from hearing what went well, what didn't go well, what helped things go better. Um, and so that that collaboration is something that I was one um, really excited to hear occurs quite a bit. Um, to Brett's points, you know, I think a lot of organizations that fall into similar buckets, they tend to collaborate with with each other. And those share that sharing of best practices really is so incredibly beneficial. And as we talked through advanced technology implementations, one of the things I heard quite a bit was that there's a lot of pressure to keep pace with implementations with new technologies. And I think that the risk there is that organizations try to keep pace, they move too quickly, and things don't go as intended, and that that can actually take the organization backwards. And collaboration is a really good way. It doesn't slow things down that much, but it does provide those insights to help ensure that things will go well and that it is going to be ultimately beneficial for the organization. Yeah, and that's why we have AGA and all these reports and things, podcasts like this. That's the whole, you know, we want to share. We want best practices. We want people to work together. And uh, I definitely see it a lot. So this this is in line with what I'm definitely seeing out there in our community. Um, so a couple more. Data management. Um so I had my little quick thought on this before I uh, asked your question. I give you your question there, but you know, because I feel like I've seen this for the last twenty-five years. I've been doing this work. It's always been, you know, we need good, accurate data because it's just garbage in, garbage <laughs> out, right? We've always said that, right? Nothing right. new. Right. Um, and data standards. We always talk about that. Um, I don't know. Just putting this out there as a as a thought. I mean, especially with AI getting so prevalent, um, things like, you know, just as simple as Google searches, but as complicated as you know, chat GPT type technology, you know, again, the data has to be accurate and maybe there's good, better ways to clean it, but maybe we go away from that model of, okay, here's your 10 systems and, uh, you know, and then we do some kind of report here and report there. I mean, what if AI can just go in there and we ask any question we want to ask and then it, it accesses all your systems and all your information and gives you a solution, you know, basically searching for you versus you having to go and pull it out. You know, I don't know. That's kind of what sure. I see as the future of this thing, but that's my opinion, but what, what did you see there as far as data management and data strategy? Yeah, um, I, I agree with you, and, and uh, it's at least 25 years. Uh, <laughs> you know, data, data. if you don't get that right, the rest just falls apart. I mean, it's kind of axiomatic to say, right? And, and, and in the report, um, I think the first bullet they talk about it is invest in preparation, right? So, but I, I'll even go back a little further. So, starting by just this whole premise from a culture change perspective, whose data is it, right? And I can't tell you how many times I give this speech about it's the enterprise's data. You'll, you'll get into a conversation with people and they're like, start talking about my data. And I always stop and say, wait a minute, <laughs> it's not your data, it's the enterprise's data. But uh, yeah, the, the holy grail is that single instance, the single source of truth, um, it, it, it's difficult to get there. We have a lot of legacy systems that don't interoperate well, right? And I t I'm talking generally across the government's uh, spectrum. Uh, and, and people are working on that. Um, but I think, to, Paul, to your point, the importance of data quality, uh, you've got to have it. Um, there is no um, data analytics and there is no AI and there's no machine learning without it, right? Um, there is that, 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 that axiom about uh, garbage in, garbage out is absolutely right. Um, we're, we're making a lot of efforts here at the FDIC. Um, uh, you know, getting a, a good, 
solid data dictionary that everybody agrees on um, is really important. We've got our CDO is working to rationalize the way we store, uh, uh, manipulate, and uh, and uh, ultimately dispose of data. Um, the one thing I'd say when we, we talk from a historical perspective, the, the plummeting cost of storage was both a blessing and a curse, and now I'll talk about it as a curse. Um, it's very inexpensive to save everything these days, right? Or save multiple instances of the same data, although they may be slightly different. And to Caitlin's point, you can start creating data, uh, which actually takes the organization backwards. So it's really important to have a good data strategy, uh, a really strong CDO function. Uh, and then, of course, we could talk about access controls, you know, the concept of least privilege. People get nervous when they you want to take their data, which it isn't their data, but uh, their data and put it in some kind of enterprise warehouse. They're concerned that people don't understand what it is and that they're going to misuse it and misreport it. I think those are all things we've got to, you know, uh, tackle as we think about getting to a point where we do have a single data source uh, across the enterprise. Everybody agrees that, of the definitions on. And then, of course, just quickly, um, uh, protection of sensitive and, uh, information and, and, and PII is also really paramount. So, Caitlin, what else? Uh, what else did the folks say about this category? Yeah. So, I would say, you know, that the last point that Brett just made was was the critical one that we talked about, and that is data security. So, you know, we've obviously talked a little bit on the podcast already about data quality and having multiple instances of data. We certainly talked about that a lot. We don't. I don't need to, you know, say anything else on that. What I will say is the data security component is critical, and we'll talk about this again. When we, talk, when we touch on governance and internal controls. Because one of the, the discussion points is anytime you are implementing a new technology, you are potentially creating vulnerabilities and potentially exposing sensitive data to bad actors, to outside, you know, outside forces. And so ensuring that the CISO and the right individuals are involved, so again, going back to that collaboration piece, is absolutely critical when we're thinking about data management, to ensure that we are protecting the data as we move the organization forward. So that data security piece is something that we did touch on a lot. And one of the things that I, I don't think I mentioned at the outset, but this is probably a good time to mention, is that as we were identifying these four key themes that are critical to advanced technology implementations, one of the things that we noted was how intertwined they all are and how necessary all four components are mm -hmm. to success of these initiatives. So that's why you'll hear me refer to the other themes and sections because they really are entangled. And so with data management, it goes back to bringing the CISO in. It goes back to bringing the chief data officer in. And that's when you're going to ensure that the data is going to be managed appropriately throughout this process. And um, I think one of the other things I'll mention before we wrap up the data management topic is we also talked about what a data-rich world we live in. And so we talked about when going through these technology implementations, ensuring that we're not creating data just for the sake of creating data. And, and Brett touched on this as well, right? We don't need to create another data source. The question should be, how do we map out the data that we have? How do we map out the processes and systems that we have? And how do we make this more effective? And can we eliminate potentially duplicate sources of data? Um, and so you'll see in the report, one of the key bullets that we call out here, and this is 
you know, this is something that as a former auditor, I care deeply about. Um, one of them is improving documentation. So ensuring that that documentation is there and that you truly understand the flow of data and the technology systems before you embark on anything new. Great. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. And one last little personal note, you're talking about, you know, the storage is so cheap now and, you know, you can just have so much data. My thought is like, remember I used to take photos and put them in little digital folders, you know, and, and now it's, <laughs> you take 1000 photos of the same thing every day and you'll never find those photos ever again. Like, Oh, remember that, remember that trip to New Jersey? Nope. I'm never going to find that photo because I have a 1 million of them on my phone. And that's, that's, how, that's how it is now with all the stuff we do. Um, so yeah, the last topic here, uh, can't, can't have a survey with CFOs out talking about internal controls and risk management. <laughs> so we had, we knew, right. that, we knew that was going to come up. Um, yeah, I just want to get your takeaways from that section. Uh, just a couple of things I thought were really interesting, uh, high level, you know, talking about revamping government structures. That's kind of interesting. Um, risk tolerance, risk culture. Um, yeah, mm. just what, what was your take on that, Brett? Yeah. Uh, as Caitlin said, uh, these four themes are uh, really uh, interwoven in many ways. And um, the, the sort of the counter, well, I won't say counterintuitive, but the, the sort of uh, um, interesting take on all this is stronger governance and risk control actually helps you. This was part of the theme from the report, actually helps you keep pace with rapid change. Now, if you ask some of these um, sort of cowboy developers um, that don't necessarily like guardrails very much, they view controls and the control frameworks as an impediment, right, to rapid uh, deployment or rapid adoption of technology. And to some extent, and I think the report touches on this, you're really trying to seek a balance, right? So, of course, you want to deploy things and move your organization forward uh, using these new tools, but you've got to do it in a thoughtful way, and that's where uh, risk, uh, risk management and uh, internal controls um, come in. Uh, I, the chief risk officer reports to me here, so this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, and I, I'll say a few things. I think you have to uh, put reasonable guardrails around the deployment of advanced technology. That's reasonable. Again, balancing. Don't let guardrails become derailers, right? So uh, having said that, uh, I also want to say to folks that don't forget that the risk of not doing this, right? And I, I touched on it at the beginning, which is I don't view the uh, deployment or adoption of advanced technologies as optional. It's, it has to be done. The question is, can you do it smartly? Um, can you change your culture so that it, it really works out well for you? Uh, and speaking of culture, I think when we talk about risk management and controls, um, we have to, in the government, learn to be willing to accept uh, some level of failure, right? You cannot advance the organization uh, without uh, uh, going into these projects and understanding sometimes things are not going to work out and you're going to spend money and that's okay. Um, and you have to walk that talk uh, as things, as failures crop up. Um, the, one of the big things in here that the report talks about is establishing risk tolerances. We have a really in-depth conversation here at the SDIC about that. And we actually have a, um, a risk tolerance um, uh, statement, uh, and, and we spend a lot of time talking about it. But again, you can you can do that as part of a mature ERM program. The question is, as you're uh, making decisions day to day, are you living that document, right? Um, 
uh, I had a supervisor a very long time ago say to me, you know, your job is to manage risk, not avoid it at all costs. And I've hung on to that um, because I think in the government, we tend to be very conservative and we need to really kind of uh, do some introspection on that point. And uh, yeah, I think that I like that idea of the, the guardrails because you can, you know, you can even automate those or, you know, he talked about citizen development. You know, you can allow certain things, but not others without special approvals, but still gives people some freedom to explore and use these tools, but certain limits that are, you know, need a special approval or special, you know, access. So yeah, I love that. Um, so Caitlin, yeah, you want to wrap us up here on the last topic? Any other great insights on from yours from the report? Sure. Um, first, I will just say I love Brett's comment about about risk. Um, some of the best risk managers I know engage in some of the craziest hobbies, like race car driving and skydiving. And these are people that manage risk for a living. So that that in and of itself should tell you that the, the right way to manage risk is not necessarily to avoid it at all costs. Um, and I always laugh because when we talk about risk management, people automatically assume risk mitigation. And acceptance is an appropriate strategy for risk. If you are looking at it within the risk tolerances and the risk appetite of your organization. Um, all of that said, when we're looking at technology implementation, there is no faster way to slow the pace of change than to implement something without the right controls, have a massive issue on your hands that then, you know, is getting pressed and is getting publicized, is getting attention from oversight bodies. That's a very swift way to ensure that the pace of change will be slowed. And so that's one of the things that we focus on quite a bit is that by building these controls, and I love Brett's use of the word guardrail, building these guardrails in from the beginning is, it, it really truly is an enabler. It does ultimately, mm -hmm. it ultimately supports success. And over the course of my career, I've, I've had the privilege of being involved in a number of program stand-ups, so large-scale programs that have technology, processes, et cetera. And the best practice that we've employed there in every situation is to embed a risk and controls team with the development and implementation team. And they're ultimately building those controls in as everything is being built out. So essentially, they are part of the design as well. Now, they're not the same team that's going to come in and assess them but they're the team that's ultimately building them and they're getting to know the process, they're getting to know the technology and ultimately ensuring that things are going to be controlled and that the guardrails will be in place from the beginning. So that to me is a best practice and one that again, should not be seen as something that will slow things down, mm -hmm. but rather that is something that will ultimately ensure that this will go smoothly and will hopefully avoid any of those major hiccups down the road. Um, so I do think that's critical. And you know, as we all know, risk and controls gets a, a bad name um, and I think it's important to continue to highlight the value that they create and the value that they add to implementations and organizations in general. All right. Well, we're uh, at the end of our time, but I just wanted to ask uh, both of you just to uh, give me your thoughts, uh, last thoughts as far as, for so for Brett, you know, taking part in this survey, taking part in the discussions, you know, what would you articulate as the value of that and to encourage others, your peers to do the same? Yeah, again, I, I think I said earlier, um, it's just taking the survey um, makes you think about these issues. You know, we're all so busy and we're, we're um, you know, flying from meeting to meeting. Uh, 
it was almost like a nice refreshing time out to just sit back and think about these issues. So just from that um, aspect alone, I think it was absolutely worthwhile. But again, I love getting the, um, you know, the collective wisdom of 50 CFOs across the government because it really helps me focus on, you know, what I need to do to be successful. Great. And Caitlin, uh, what, how would you encourage folks to use this information as well? And, and maybe if there's what's planned for next time? Great question. Um, so I would just say one, I agree with Brett. Um, working on the survey and the report is so fun for me because everything is so fast paced these days. Taking a step back to really think about the bigger picture is just incredibly refreshing um, and it is, is so much fun. In terms of how to use this, um, I would say, you know, hopefully the report is a good tool for individuals. Um, I would encourage um, anyone who reads the report and has questions to reach out um, to me, to any of the other authors, to AGA. Um, we're always happy to talk through this and share any additional background or detail on what we've included there. So hopefully people can find this as a good tool and can reach out with any questions that they may have. Um, and in terms of next steps, that's a very timely question. I did just talk to AGA yesterday about what we're going to do as we go forward. Um, we don't have a specific theme for our next survey yet, um, but it will be connected to the themes of this survey. So our goal is to have everything really flow very nicely, be interconnected, um, take a look at this and see what themes are continuing to pop out and essentially peel back the layers of the onion on those so that it can create more value for CFOs. So I would say stay tuned for our next topic. Um, we are hoping to schedule another round table. This time it will likely be a breakfast sometime in early 2024. Um, so hopefully we'll get the same level of participation and we'll be then start working on our report and our update. All right. Well, Brett, Caitlin, thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And that is the end of the podcast. Uh, and this is Paul Marshall, your host, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.